Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle, and today we have two warrior queens joining us from another podcast. And this is all very meta. Irish actors and writers Philippa Dunn and Yasmeen Akram present the We Heart Worry podcast from their homes in London, which, as the title suggests, is a place for them to discuss and dissect all their worries. And now some of their worries are quite niche, as I discovered. I hold on to old clothes way too long because I'm afraid of putting them in the clothes recycling bin because I'm always afraid I've wrapped up some bank statements or my house keys or my daughter's birth cert into like the clothes and that they're going in the clothes bin and they're gone forever or else somebody gets their hands on my my keys from the clothes bin and then breaks into my house at night <laughs> and robs me blind. That was Philippa done there with a worry that I can't say I've ever worried about. But before I bring you our really interesting and entertaining chat, I just want to give a little shout out to the clever marketing people in Adidas for their new ad campaign for sports bras. They caused a bit of a kerfuffle this week with an ad that shock horror displayed 25 pairs of bare breasts uh, without any kind of sexualizing going on. They were everyday, ordinary, naked breasts from everyday women. They were saggy breasts, some with scars and veins, breasts of all shapes and sizes. And the idea was that, as we know, breasts are diverse and certainly not a one-size-fits-all situation. And Adidas, because they've expanded their range of sports bras using the hashtag support is everything, wanted to get people talking and obviously buying their product. And I think it was a great idea. Now, not everyone agrees. Some think that exposing women's breasts is kind of exploitative, especially when it's for commercial gain. But I I think it's really really great to see uh, women's breasts in a non-sexual way. And it's kind of hilarious as well that while the nipples were freely shown in the ad on Twitter, over on Instagram, the nipples had to be blurred, of course, because on that platform, nipples are censored. Uh, Correction, women's nipples are censored, while men are free to display their nipples all over the shop. Anyway, if you haven't seen the ad, check it out and maybe let us know what you think of it as well. Our email is thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Now, the We Heart Worry podcast is presented by Yasmin Akram and Philippa Dunn, and they have just launched their third series. So we invited them to discuss their podcast on this podcast. And their podcast is a place where they discuss all things worrisome. The aim is to take the heat out of those horrible worries that we all have and find a bit of laughter in all the absurdity. It's lighthearted, it's friendly, it's very hilarious. And their chats sometimes on subjects that can be difficult to navigate, but, you know, they can always find the funny side. Philippa is well known to many of you. She was a star of Motherland and Derry Girls, where she plays the character of Claire's mom. And Yasmin has been in Sherlock with your man Cumberbatch and many other brilliant productions. And she's also writing away in hopes to get into directing. We had such an interesting conversation and it went to many places, including Yasmin's mixed race background, Philippa's childhood anxiety. And we talked quite a bit about shame, actually, which for many Irish women is a huge source of our worries. Anyway, let's hear them. I began by asking Philippa and Yasmin to introduce themselves to you. My name is Yasmin Akram. I am an Irish woman and I'm also a Pakistani woman at the same time. Uh, I'm an actor, a writer, a comedian, and um, I'm hoping to be a director. And I do a podcast called We Heart Worry with my friend Philippa Dunn. And now before we move on to Philippa, or may I call you Phil? Maybe at the end we can, I can call you yeah. Phil. Phil, okay. Absolutely. Uh, Yasmin or Yasmin? So this is the thing. You, you're you saying it right when you say Yasmin, but the way I say it, it's so fast and run together. It sounds like 
Yasmin Akram. So it sounds like I'm saying Yasmin, but I'm actually saying Yasmin. So just call me Yas, Roisin, and Yaz. then it'll be grand. Like Yas, <laughs> wasn't she a pop star back in the day? Yeah, The Only Way Is Up. Uh, that was her hit it. single. I yeah. really liked her. She was cool. She was really good. Yeah. She was very tall. That I did not know. That very I did not tall. know. Yeah. Anyway, she was. If you look, her, look it up after this. I will. I'll, I'll check height. So, so Yaz, you said that you're um, Irish-Pakistani, which is an mm-hmm. interesting mix. Can you tell us a bit about I that know. background? I know it's yeah it is quite weird um so my mother went to Manchester when she was younger and was a nurse and there she met my father because back in the day there wasn't many uh, people of colour in Ireland so you had to go further afield now it's a different story so yes yeah, so they met and then uh had my sister who was born in Drogheda and then we moved to Dubai I was born in Dubai and then my parents separated and my mother and my sister and myself moved back to Drogheda. And so I was raised in Drogheda as an Irish person, went to Catholic primary school, did my first Holy Communion and all that kind of jazz. So didn't really have any kind of interactions with my dad whatsoever. So it's a bit of a weird kind of, I've always, I've had an issue kind of like bringing those two sides together. But I think a lot of mixed race people who's one of their parents was absent have that anyway. So, yeah, it's very interesting. We'll come back to that in a bit, if you don't mind, because you seem like an open book kind of person. I feel like I can ask you anything. I know we've only just met, but, you know, now, oh, go for Philippa it. slash Phil, tell us all about yourself. Uh, my name is Philippa Dunn. Um, I'm from Mayo. Um, I live in London. <laughs> I feel like I'm in school. <laughs> I should have been thinking about this when I was listening yes, to you. Yes, but no. you should have done your homework. Yes. <laughs> no, I was just paying attention to the fact that the cats just drank my water and now I don't have any water. Um, uh, yes, I am um, living in London. I have a cat. I have a small child. I'm usually very tired and I'm also an actor and a writer. And now I do my podcast with my friend Jasmine Akram also. Excellent. And Phil, where will people know you from? Because I recognise you big time because you're in two of my favourite ever things that were ever made in the history of television. What? What are those things? I mean, I hope it's the right things now, because imagine if I was recognising <laughs> you from something that you're not in. You tell me, Phil. Neighbours. You tell me. <laughs> Star of Neighbours, Phil Dunn. <laughs> well, you're you're that amazing character in Motherland. Yes. The Irish woman. I play yeah. Anne, yeah, in Motherland, yeah. I mean, she's so amazing because you recognise her as an Irish person. It's it's like she's a particular type of Irish woman that you just, I thought I would never see represented on British television. No way. Tell us about her. She's Anne and she is basically <laughs> me when I was 13. Um, <laughs> I just regress into um, that tween who hated everything about herself. Uh, didn't enjoy life very much because it was so painfully awkward at all times. And I was just um, running circles around myself, trying to please everyone, trying to get everyone to like me Um trying to be as appealable to everyone at all times, no matter what. So, you know, just being very um, accommodating and smiley and um, just, yeah, doing doing things that I wouldn't do now, really. I'd hope, I'd hope uh, I wouldn't do now. Um, but yeah, that's that's who Anne is, really. Can you give us a bit of a blast of Anne? What's the kind of thing she'd be saying now? Just so people, if people haven't seen it, which they need to go and watch it all because it's amazing. Oh God, um, I don't know. I don't know. No, I wouldn't have an opinion on that. No, thank you. Um, uh, can I call you back later? Thank you very much. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's fine. And um, uh, that uh, goodbye. <laughs> I love it. That kind no. of thing. And you're also in Dairy Girls. Yes. Yeah. I play one of the mams, which is a lot of fun. Like if my kids were here now and they saw you on this thing, they'd be having a heart attack. They're obsessed. Oh, no way. Yeah. So they'll be raging. I couldn't even tell them that I was going to be talking to you because they were they would they would give out they would want to take the day off school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can't have but, that now. But I mean, you just finished the third series, right? Yeah. Yeah. That just finished in like December. Um. In yeah, shooting again in Belfast and Derry, and I I don't know when it'll be on, but um. I love the way you told me you don't know when it's going to be on even before I asked you that. It's like <laughs> I, was, I don't care. I wasn't going to ask you. <laughs> I don't know when it'll be on. Because, because, well, I, I kind of, I feel like I'm in the same boat as you. Is I want to know when it's on and yeah. I want to see it um, because I think it's going to be, it's going to be brilliant. 
And I really want to see how, because of course it's end of an era, it's the last series. So mm. I want to see how it ends and I want to, I just think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be lovely. Now, um, can you tell us anything? Like, do you have to sign a disclaimer form? Does Lisa McGee like go around and tell everyone to not say anything? What, how, how does that work? Oh God, I don't know. Um, have you got any gossip from the set of Derry Roshan, Girls 3? she won't give it to you. I'll tell you this now about Phil. Okay, go on, Yasmin, because you know her very she well. Won't, so obviously. She won't. Ages ago, Phil was doing a thing and she had to sign an, an NDA about it. Now, if I sign an NDA, I won't like broadcast it as I'm walking in the street, but I'll tell people that I know. And I was like, what are you working on, Phil? And she's like, I can't say, I can't say. And I, so she she takes these things very seriously. She's a great person to cast in something because she's going to give nothing away. At all. Because you know why? Because I cannot cope with the worry of knowing that, like, if anything, it'll be my fault. If it gets out the bag, it's my fault. Yeah. It would keep me awake. You know, I'd be like, I can't. Did I tell the bus driver? Did I tell the postman? Oh, God, I better track them down and tell them, oh, you know, that was secret information. Don't tell anyone. You know, I I can't cope with that. I can't cope with that level of responsibility. (laughs) So I just, I just, where Yaz is an open book, I can be a very closed book at times. Um, I will take things to my grave. Certain things, things that I've signed an NDA for, certainly. So very professional. How did you become friends, you two? Do you want to say, Phil? Or <laughs> she's nodding yeah, at me. I nodded. Like you, do you want to go? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll make establish it and feel free to fill in the gaps. <laughs> I will. Um, so we'd heard from heard about each other from afar. I'd heard about Yasmin through a friend. Uh, who said, you know, there's a girl on the telly and she's gorgeous and she's in a in a programme, a big programme and she's Irish. And I was like, go away. So then when I finally saw said programme, I was like, oh, who is, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? I want to know who that is. And then we saw each other at something um, and she saw me and I saw her and there was a kind of a, a flash of eyes between us. But two, both of us too afraid to kind of say anything. So we kind of did a nod and a hello. Oh, hello, hi, hi. And an arm through a group of friends and hi and a quick handshake. And then that was it. And then we ended up working together on a couple of things. And um, Yaz was just instantly one of those people that I totally hit it off with. She's one of those people who's like, here, take my number. I'm going to text you. And she texted me that evening. I was like... God, I don't think getting to know her will be really hard. So we just hit it off and uh, it snowballed. And um, and uh, yeah, we still know each other, don't we? I mean, yes, we do. We're speaking to each other now. And, and I think we can say <laughs> that we know each other still yeah. at this point. But Roisin, from my point of view, right? So this feels a little bit magical and kismet and all that kind of thing. I saw Philippa on television as well. And I remember saying, who is this person? Because what it, she's for me. This Aww. one is for me. And I know... So I did, I was on Twitter at the time before I became too scared of social media. And I did a tweet saying, who is this person? And then I was given the name, Philippa Dunn, and I was going, okay, I have, I have to, I hope I meet her. I hope I get to meet her. And then, yeah, I probably was about six months later, but I think in that term, we manifested each other at the same time into each other's lives. That's so yeah. Lovely. And what yes. were you, what were you in, Yaz, when, when uh, Philippa was told about you? I think I was that was Sherlock, wasn't it, Phil? It was. Yeah. It was. Can we do a little Sherlock segue? Sorry, Phil. Not no no offense, but listen, your man, what's he like? Like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, he's really nice. He was. Re- I mean, this is like about nine years ago at this point, so he might have changed, but I don't think he did. He was he was really at the height of his fame. I I think around then, uh, certainly I think because he was single, so there was lots lots of stuff about who he was dating in the papers and. But he had a really good sense of humour. He was the crack. It was a really nice job. And it was one of the first kind of jobs that I did, really, because I'd been a comedian for such a long time. So I was very used to like going and doing gigs above pubs. And that was kind of my life. So then all of a sudden I was on a, a TV set and I was like, oh, this is actually really lovely. And since then, looking back, I now realise how lovely it was because sometimes you go to work and it's not it's not the greatest experience, but... To be there with somebody who was, you know, being nominated for Oscars. I mean, as he still is now, but, you know, all that kind of stuff. And for them to be able to sit with you and have the crack and be nice. Whereas sometimes you go and lesser famous people wouldn't be so kind or nice. So Who would they yeah, be he, now? I couldn't possibly say, Roshan. I couldn't possibly you're, say. You're, you're channeling Phil now. I thought you were the open book. She's the one I wouldn't expect to spill any gossip. I just don't want to be taken to court, but, you know. <laughs> She's also signed an NDA, so... Yes, yeah, not slagging people off. 
Okay, well, so you become really good friends. You realise that there was this is sort of almost like, see, friendships can have a spark, can't they? Women can have a spark. Platonic things can have that chemistry that's almost like a, a relationship in a way where you know somebody's just the kind of person you want to spend a lot of time with. And especially when they make you laugh, which clearly you make each other laugh. When did the idea of the podcast come about? Um, it was an idea that my friend had given me years ago. And he said, you know, the things that you worry about are really niche and really funny. And I didn't know how to take that information. I was like, oh, really? Oh, really? No, no, no. But it actually gave me great comfort. I was like, good, because I somehow I know things I worry about are a bit odd. So, um, yeah, if I could talk about them and um, other people would find them as enter entertaining, then OK, uh, a bonus. Um, so I tried it on my own and I, I didn't get very far. And then as I got to know Yaz a bit more, we would meet up most Tuesdays for a cup of tea and a and a, a fried breakfast or something. And um, we would start spitballing ideas. And I told her about this thing that I tried to work on. And she said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That, that sounds up my street. Because we pretty soon we, we realised both of us have our um, neuroses and our funny things going on where we, we worry about stuff. And um, I just suggested to her, I said, would you like to do it together? And she said, absolutely. And then, God, we were recording in my house for months, if not years. And that was me trying to operate the equipment and me and, <laughs> me and equipment. Um, I can barely turn on the telly. So it all went really badly. Um, but we knew we had something that worked, as in our dynamic. And um, then we got in touch with um, my friend Mike, uh, who's a producer who I've known for a thousand years and uh, he very, very gallantly um, offered to produce it for us. So that's when everything became a bit more legit, as in we started recording it properly. It was mixed properly, edited properly, hosted properly. Um, and so it means now that me and Yaz just get to dial into a Zoom every so often and have massive fun talking about what we've been worrying about and I don't have to touch any technology or anything like that. So <laughs> the podcast, in theory, is working. <laughs> and listen, tell me about the kinds of things that you worry about, because I love the idea of niche worries. And I think sometimes you think it's a niche worry and then you realise, I'm sure you have feedback from listeners all the time. That's not a niche worry. I worry about that, too, because worries are so universal, aren't they? Um, yes. So what, what kind of things have been the most, uh, say, successful or the ones that have resonated with people the most or the funniest? Oh, I think that um, the the fear, the like post drinking fear thing is something that everybody can relate to because I don't know a single person who hasn't. Well, I don't know a single Irish person who hasn't gone out and then, and then been woken up by the by Catholic guilt hitting you around the head as of like 7 a.m. Um, so that that kind of seems to resonate with people. Um, what's another one? Because sometimes I forget the ones that we've done as well which is terrible. Philippa has a spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet because I knew I would forget. Do you actually have a worry spreadsheet? Just for the show. Yeah. Not for, <laughs> not for real life. But actually that might be handy putting your worries in the spreadsheet or would that be just more of a worry to have to keep the spreadsheet going that would, that would add to the worries? Uh, well, I, I pay a therapist once a week, so... <laughs> If I've anything really or worrying. she puts them in a spreadsheet for you in that yeah. sense. Yeah, you're paying her enough. She should do the spreadsheet yes. as well. The therapist's yeah. mind is uh, my spreadsheet. Um, uh, I have One of my niche ones that I keep revisiting is the fact that I don't trust contactless payments and I'm afraid I'll leave a shop without paying for something and then Catholic guilt will, you know, really catch up with me. Another one would be um, I'm always afraid of putting things in the wrong place like we did one before where I hold on to old clothes way too long because I'm afraid of putting them in the, the clothes recycling bin because I'm always afraid I've wrapped up some bank statements or my house keys or my daughter's birth cert into like the clothes and that they're going in the clothes bin and they're gone forever or else somebody gets their hands on my my keys from the clothes bin and then breaks into my house at night <laughs> and robs me blind. They, they're watching you from across the road. Mm. They know your address. They've seen the keys go in. Mm. And I have to say, being honest, and I think Phil would be all right with me saying this, Phil's worries are sometimes so bizarre that I don't think many people do relate to them. 
like for example I was just going to say that is not one of the related that is a niche worry I just want to just for anyone listening I don't think anyone listening is going to have had that specific worry so I get your point about niche worries but I think what happens is when when we're talking about them people go oh well if they're worrying about that you know like have has Philippa murdered someone and forgotten about it um, that if they are worrying about that then my worry that I actually can now dissect as being maybe a little bit bizarre as well yeah, we all have them. So so I don't think we have exactly the same worries as people, but we help people with their more niche worries themselves. Well, one of the things you're worrying about in this, so you've got series three, which well done, by the way, and you're talking about fear of being a narcissist or being too self-absorbed. Yes. I think that's a really interesting one. So tell us about that. Well, yeah, because I read this article basically, Roisin, um, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to, like, I am such a, I, I'm such a lovely person, which is what a narcissist would say. <laughs> I'm such a lovely woman. Let me read this article about narcissists. Because also I think narcissist is now a buzzword that people use for like an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who was, you know, a bit, a bit difficult. So I was like, I'm going to read this because I bet you I know loads of them. And then as I was reading, I was going, that's me. That's also me. That is. But it was just stuff like um, interrupting people, which on the podcast, I interrupt Phil all the time. Oh, Sometimes no. when I listen back, I'm like, oh, my God. I, if see, I, was I, to this, I would feel like I am. Inter- and I just did it there now. Sorry. <laughs> I see, I feel like I interrupt you all the time and I've just done it. I'm very sorry. Continue. Sorry. And there's other things as well, which again, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I think, yeah, we're all slightly narcissistic in the world at the moment. But when you're confronted with it, when you read a list and you go, oh God, I identify with seven things on the eight things on that list. You have to start asking yourself some questions, which I'm never really comfortable doing. Am I Donald Trump? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Because I, I think all of us, no matter what, no matter where we are in the world, we think we're being good people. No one is sitting at home going, do you know what? I'm just, re- I'm just really horrible, and I'm all right with it. So yeah, it just, it felt a little bit too close to home, and then I had to ask myself the question: Am I indeed a narcissist? And, and Phil, what was your sort of take on that? Do you think she is a narcissist? In fact, no, I think she's a person who's worrying that she's a narcissist. <laughs> I think she's an ordinary person who just worries that she uh, at times acts over the top, but she she doesn't and she's not. But you see, that's why I hope the podcast balances itself out, because I'll have the niche funny word, like very obscure worries. And then Yaz has these bigger picture kind of more all encompassing kind of um, like big life question worries. And when I find myself having a worry like that, I'm like, OK, I think I've, I'm, I'm having a grown up normal worry now because it sounds like something Yaz would worry about (laughs) where um so I think I hope that like balances out that like maybe I speak for people who um they're afraid that they think they worry about the things they worry about because they're so weird and then Yaz has just worries that maybe more people can relate to because they're just they're they're more everyday kind of pressing life questions and Phil, you said you have a young daughter. I'm, I'm just thinking about in terms of as a, as, a, as a mother myself, as people like to say, as a mother of two daughters, um, <laughs> you know, parenting brings a lot of worries. I, I'm really curious as to what your, some of your more obscure parenting worries are. Because I imagine like that thing about wrapping your birth set up in some clothes you're going to throw away, like that's, that's very niche. But what else have you, do you worry about? Um. You see, I haven't mentioned her at all on the podcast and I've kind of felt a bit bad about that because um, I felt like I was being kind of fake in a way because I wasn't talking about what I was actually worrying at in the moment, which was things to do with having a small child. But I know now that the reason I wasn't talking about those things is because it's too fresh. I was still processing because like she's my first child and I've not done this before and it's a head melt in general. So... I think I'm going to bring that into our next series and just make it a full, uh, full like confession about all the things I've worried about being, um, you know, as, as I've experienced in the last nearly two years of having a small child. Number one is when I drop her off to, to nursery, I walk away with the empty buggy and the voice in the head says, that wasn't the nursery. <laughs> oh, my God. You have a voice in your head that says that wasn't the nursery. Yeah. What is going on in your head? You just dropped her off to a stranger's house. And now you're going home and you're going to go back to bed and your daughter's in a stranger's house. <laughs> and look at you having the fancy life going back to bed. You might have been up at five this morning, but 
things like that wow. that I know you see but I identify I go that's a voice that's trying to um disturb me mm-hmm. um much and all as I want to run back to the nursery and go um is everything okay is she there are you the are you the nursery by the way yes um, and are you a qualified do you work here you're not just somebody um <laughs> de- decorating the hall um are, you know is all this legit I have to battle with that on the way home and go it's just a thought people have these thoughts every day by going back and checking, I would be doing myself a disservice because I know for myself, I have a history of OCD and I've done CBT and all this stuff. If you continue to feed into the thoughts, they just, you go into a whirlwind and a spin. And the next thing you know, not only are you going into the um, nursery and checking that the baby is still there, but you're phoning up the nursery later on going, is the baby there? You know, you just accelerate. Mm. So I have to check it at the thought and go, it's just a thought. I'm not taking it any further. And I know I'm not the only mother of a small child who's had that thought or a thought similar. We've all had them. It doesn't make me a weirdo. It doesn't make me um, uh, neglectful. It doesn't make me selfish. It's just a thought. And I'm just going to have to carry on with my day recognising that. I'm glad you mentioned, um, you know, that you've had a previous history of OCD because I know we're having a laugh here and everything. And I I was kind of going to ask you actually about why you think you're somebody because it is very funny on one level. But, you know, it's difficult to go around, I think, um, I imagine, in your shoes where a lot of things that wouldn't occur to other people to worry about, they're really front and centre. And I can imagine through the pandemic, that must have been quite difficult. This is the thing. I did my germ phase when I was a teenager. And I got it out of my system. But my first thought was with, like, for people who who have germ thing, OCD with germs, I was like, Christ almighty, what are, how are they feeling at the moment? Because, talk about a nightmare. Um, and then I know somebody who told me a story where it was, you know, an older person and a young man who she's known since he was a child. He came up to the house, he said, can I go and do your shopping? Can I get you something from town? And she said, no, I don't want you going in there and exposing yourself to germs etc and he goes don't worry that's been my life since I was a child he's been carrying that and Mm. he hasn't been able to talk about it out loud that like I have this germ thing my whole life it really bothers me and now I'm trying I'm like I'm going into the pandemic with it and so I'm really interested to know how people coped with their OCD during um, the pandemic I, I got away with murder because if I have any traces of OCD now it's to do with locking doors and um, closing windows and stuff like that. And because we're in lockdown, I didn't have to worry about that because I wasn't leaving the house. Plus right. also, I was pregnant. My mind was completely elsewhere. Like it was the biggest gift ever um, being pregnant during the pandemic. I was so distracted. I didn't have to worry about all sorts of things. All I had to worry about was staying home and staying well and having a baby. And that, like, I got out of jail card free completely with that one. 
from when you're a child, shame just starts to build and build and build and build. And then you find yourself reacting in a huge way to something that is kind of smaller or should be taken as a smaller thing because because your your mind, like Phil says, you've got a, a voice in your mind that isn't there to help you. It's there to keep you safe, but it's it, it's going to undermine you and it's going to say things to you that just make you feel terrible about yourself. And I think as I was kind of leaving my 20s, going into my 30s and saying to myself, I don't feel any better. When does this get better? Because I, I feel like I am every day co- trying to cope with this sense of like uncertainty about everything and a real lack of confidence within myself that I'm trying to, because I was an actor and, and starting to be a comedian at that point, that I'm making up for by being very extrovert. And then I go home in the evenings and I feel kind of nervous and scared and I'm thinking back over the day and oh you did that wrong and you said that wrong and I think everybody I think women were harder on ourselves I think it it happens to everybody though and and I think that's the thing when you talk about it I think Brené Brown said it as well she did that whole TED talk about fear uh, shame and vulnerability when you kind of speak it it loses its power over you because it wants you to stay just you in it battling it out in your mind telling no one and then when it's out there, then you can realise, oh, this is just this is just my dirty little mind. So um, really, it's really speaking to me. Um, that sounds very American. You're really speaking to me, Yaz. It's really, you know, uh, resonating with me at the moment. But it just is. I think that uh, that's a really good piece of advice for anybody who has stuff like that. It, it's a nice idea that somehow, and the shame is really true. It's that you're, it's your dirty little secret, that it's just you that has these thoughts. It's only you that's acting this way. It's only you that's reacting. And you can't let anyone into that because if anyone saw it, how disgusting that would be and how they change their view of you. And in fact, that's a lie because once you start talking about these things, people say, oh, me too. Like I've had it so often yes. writing a personal column as I do. I've had it so often where I've, you know, got the courage up to to put something out there thinking like, oh God. And then the emails always come from people saying, oh yes. my God. And they have much worse things than I said, you know, to, to, to reveal about themselves. And I wonder, is that the kind of feedback you get from from your audience? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I had this thing, not with the podcast, but recently I did a um, uh, an interview about being mixed race, and I was very honest about the fact that I felt very, um, I felt very weird about being mixed race for a really long time because my dad wasn't around, and I was raised in Ireland, and, and thought of myself as an Irish person, and was very proud of being Irish, but I didn't know where the Pakistani side of me fit in, and I sometimes felt like am I internalizing some kind of racism? What is going on? Why can't I feel like I can connect to this thing? But it was because I didn't know my father. And that was a huge, big wound and a huge, big abandonment issue that I had to deal with. And slowly over the years, I've kind of taken ownership. I mean, that sounds quite American as well, but well, I've taken okay. ownership just, of... We met, once we mentioned <laughs> Brenny Brown, all bets were off. That was the, that was the point. <laughs> yeah, we went there. Uh, but I think now I've I've managed to like own that part of me that is Pakistani without kind of needing anybody to validate that for me. And I remember doing the interview and thinking, again, that is such a weird life experience that only I and my sister have had. So no one's going to be able to relate to that. And then I saw the feedback was so many people went, that's my story. My dad wasn't around or my mother wasn't around or and and I always feel like I'm having to pick or choose a side or, you know, I mean, for me at the time growing up in Ireland, I just never felt like I was allowed to be fully Irish because of my name and because of all that kind of stuff. And so so, yeah, you feel like once you're you say the thing that your brain goes, oh, my God, don't say that. Oh, oh they'll laugh at you if you say that. That's the thing that everybody goes. Yeah. Me too. I get that. Uh, I I just love hearing you talk about that. We had Jay Jordan on the podcast recently and she has a great memoir called Nanny Ma and Me um, about growing up a mixed race in um in Dublin, coming up, having come over from England and her father not being around. And just that identity crisis almost, I suppose, and not fitting in. And I suppose for for Jade being um sort of, say, darker skinned than you, you, you look quite pale. People might not actually recognise your Pakistani side. Yeah, I'm very, very light skin. And I think that, um, yeah, a lot of people kind of just go, are you Italian? Are you Spanish? Or, or they always think, oh, you're that like um, uh, the Spanish Armada influence in Ireland. That's you, the, the black Irish thing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> look at my surname. 
<laughs> yeah. And is that an interesting one, too? Because I suppose a lot of overt racism comes from people seeing people of different colour in Ireland, say, you know, and you have a, a mixed heritage uh, very much and obviously mm. clearly proud of it. But, you, you know, people is it have you found that in terms of that people are more accepting in a way of you because you're light skin and, and that kind of thing? Because I'm reading a lot about colorism at the moment and how that's right. that's a thing. So weirdly, when I was growing up, uh, it was it, it seemed very, very noticeable. And I don't know if my, my sister is slightly darker skin than me, but definitely I never felt like I was allowed to call myself Irish. There was a, a big thing of like, but you're not, but you're not. And we did get a lot of racial abuse. And here in England, people just think I'm white because I think there, it's such a melting pot in London. There's so many different kinds of people that... I, I think people just see me and they hear the accent as well. And having this accent, people don't, they don't necessarily tie it in to being anything other than white. So they just go, they see me very light skinned, they go white person, Irish person. Um, but it was, it was very difficult um, because I, I'm from Drogheda. I absolutely love being from Drogheda. I'm so proud of being from Drogheda. I, I know people would be going, why? But I'm from Drogheda. I can take, I can be nasty about Drogheda. Nobody else can be. Um, but it was an amazingly a wonderful community to grow up in. But there was several people there who would say, you're not from here, go back to where you belong. And that was just based on sight alone. So it's, it is a weird thing. I think back then it was so, there were so few people of colour around that it, it was noticeable, even if you were just slightly different. And yes, do you feel like if people do kind of think, you know, think you're white or whatever, is, now that you're kind of embracing your mixed race heritage a bit more, are you keen to kind of let them know, actually, this is, you know, my father was from Pakistan and make that a part of your identity now? Yes, because again, I think they say that thing, you can't be what you can't see. And, I, and I'm aware of the fact that there are younger people who might look like me or have the same background or similar background to me. And if I'm denying that about myself, then they're going to internalise that in some way uh, as, oh, I should pretend that I'm white. And so, so yeah, now I think it's really important to, to say it and address it and, you know, just, just, just be okay with it, yeah. you know? And, um, Phil, for you growing up, and we've talked a bit about shame and the Catholic word has come up a bit too. How do you feel that shaped you, like your your background growing up in Ireland? And uh, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 40. Yeah, so I suppose uh, um, you're young, you're like 10 years younger than me. But would you feel like that um, oppression of the Catholic Church or that kind of shame would have come from growing up in Ireland at that time? Or where do you think it came from? Um, You see, I... I my parents weren't big into the church. My mother was an ex-nun. And I think the fact that she left <laughs> speaks volumes. We That's were a made big to deal to though, isn't it, Phil? Like yeah. to leave a, a convent or to leave the whole journey to being a nun, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, her story is fascinating. I, I frequently pick her brains on the amount of lives she's led in one life. So... I always knew there was something in the background about why she had left, as in she became disillusioned at one stage and um, she's always been fiercely feminist as well. So I'd say even as she was entering the nuns, there was some conflict there that she had to work out. And then as soon as she got out, she was just like, eh, enough, thank you very much. We were made to go to mass up until a certain age. I remember hitting 11 and going, nah, no, 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 no. This is, No. No, they're anti-women, so they're anti-me. Like, I will be a woman one day. Uh, no. Um, but I think it's it's not even the mass thing, and it's not even the school thing, because it wasn't even, you know, really... We did religion in school, but I think it's just so cultural now that, that the guilt and the shame is, especially with Irish women, it's just so part of you. Like, it's just so in your genes, because we're carrying it down from our mothers, from our grandmothers, from our great-grandmothers. It's all... like, And even if, like, my mother... Being like so feminist, she was very Manana hair and like, but even she passed it down to me and she didn't even mean to. Like, it's not her fault. It's because it was passed down to her. So um, it's just it's it's just so there. It's just so part of our makeup. And it's really it's really um, hard to separate yourself and question like, why am I doing that? Oh, it's because I've been brainwashed and conditioned into thinking that I have to behave this way simply because I'm a female. And uh, not true. Not true at all. 
I think you spoke so well about that. It's, you're making me think of uh, Queen Marion Keys, whose book, again, Rachel, is out today. We have to mention that because the podcast is going to go up today. And she's published. She's so good on that sort of almost intergenerational shame is what you're talking about. And how it's yeah. even when we wake up for, to a lot of things, uh, we're hardwired in some ways and we're constantly almost having to, to shut up that voice that tells us this is how we should feel. And I spoke about my therapist earlier. He's an English man because I live in London. He is fascinated by the concept of the notions. I said, one day I said to him, oh, you know, you have the notions. He goes, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What the, what, what? What did you just say? And I went, oh, you know, the notions, you know. She's got notions about herself and she's got notions about herself. No, I don't want to have notions about myself. Jesus, God forbid. And he was kind of like, sorry, you're going to have to explain all that to me. He goes, so you're telling me that there was a word for the fact that you keep yourself in boxes. That like, and Yaz talked about shame there. I, I call it the voice that wants to keep you in the cupboard. It just wants you to mm. sit in a cupboard and not live your life because you are not meant to do all these things because of X, Y and Z. So that's why breaking out of the shame and speaking about stuff. And I learned through therapy as well that like the only way I could really lighten the load of carrying so much anxiety and, you know, the consequences of having OCD, which is anxiety and also depression and low mood and just your quality of life can be awful. Um, it's just to try and laugh about it, like... I think it was like Eddie Izzard said, it's a game of two halves and you have to laugh. Like, like you have to, you have, like for me personally, I have to laugh about these things because I see anxiety and worry and, you know, mental struggles as this big hot balloon. And once you speak about it with a friend and you can laugh about it, you pop the hot balloon, the heat goes away, the balloon is gone. And you're just like, oh God, I feel so much, I feel so much better. And the bonus is if you can laugh about it, it's as if the worry never existed instead of you carrying it along with you all the time. So that's my personal take on it. I have to laugh about these things. And isn't that what Marion does? Sorry to bring her back in again, but I think in her book, she's dealing with all those issues, a lot of what we've talked about. And then she's allowing us to laugh at the same time. And it we can we can process the stuff and then we can also have good crack. I think that's definitely what your podcast does. I want to ask both of you how um, you're in your third season now. Congratulations again. How it's helped you personally to, to do the podcast? Because I think it sounds like to me that it is a way of processing as well as it's a, it's a great vehicle for both your talents and your personalities, which are lovely. I think it has. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's helped me. I always feel like I've had a... Um a therapy session after we do an episode, you know, and I've done I've done a lot of therapy over the years and, and many different kinds as well. But there is something about sometimes I would leave therapy and I would feel a little bit like oh, because there is there, it can happen to people sometimes where you get into the story and you're telling the same story again and again of what went wrong, what went wrong, what went wrong. And you get so into that that sometimes after about a month or so, you just go, I don't really feel much better, but I really know the story of why I feel this bad. Whereas when we do an episode of the podcast, we're laughing about it and we're processing it. And by the end of it, I feel like, and that's the end of that story. I don't need to think about it anymore. So, so it kind of helps me close out some things. And, and we always end up talking about a bigger issue, about what it might be co connected to in some way. So, so yeah, that's how, yeah. And I, and I, sorry, I'm going on now. But um, sometimes when you learn things and then you get to say them on the podcast, it's like you're teaching yourself again what you've learned. You're refreshing your own memory. Yeah, Yaz has read loads of books, so she's brilliant for bringing in the actual, the reasoning behind stuff. I'll just stay in the moment to be like, but um, my tax return is in the clothespin. It's in the, but Yaz, what am I going to do? I put, I put my house keys in the post box. What am I going to do? And she goes, well, no, you're actually worrying about something that happened. <laughs> something else. It's just something else. You're just, and you're transferring it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that the thoughts of releasing this podcast when we first started kept me up at night. I didn't sleep because when I was in school, I didn't talk. I've been so painfully shy. I, as we've gone into it, I was Anne. I was just socially awkward to the nth degree. And um, I couldn't handle the idea of my voice being out there saying anything because I just felt not worthy. And that like I would say, number one, I would definitely say something wrong. And I would definitely say something that would get me in a lot of trouble. And by releasing the podcast, I'm, I think I'm, ge I'm getting over one of the biggest fears of my life, which is the public speaking thing and being myself because I always want to be a character. I love character acting. It's the best escapism from yourself. And now I'm being myself uh, finally at 40 and I feel really pleased about it. I feel really happy about it. And I get to do it with my friend, which is 
I think we're great um, support for each other in this because, you know, we're exposing ourselves in a certain way. Um, but the fact that we have each other makes it feel so much more comfortable. It just, it takes the edge off it a bit. We're like holding each other's hand across Zoom. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. gorgeous. Um, yeah, as I know you do a lot of writing as well as uh, reading. And I, something I wanted to ask you both about is, is the brilliant Irish women writers. I mean, mentioned Marion, but Sharon Horgan and Lisa McGee and yourself c- coming up as well. So it's it's a great time, isn't it, for Irish women writing? Oh, yeah, I really feel like that. Yeah, I think there's so many interesting stories. And, and I think now as well, with the amount of platforms that are out there, um, I think there are so many more Irish stories about to be told and we're going to get like loads on our screen very quickly. But yeah, it's, there's something about the, the, the sense of humour, like a kind of a darker sense of humour that an Irish woman has that I think is has long been missing. But um, but yeah, it's it definitely like like Lisa McGee, like... Um, Ashling B, like Sharon, like, you know, Marion, all of these people who have been around and doing great work. Yeah, it's like just they're, they're paving the way and everybody just has to come out behind them. I feel them. like you two should be in some kind of comedy drama together. Is there anything like that on the cards? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, Philippa always, I, every time I write anything, I'm always like, and then that's Philippa. Like, I always want Philippa to just be in everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in everything. I would be, I just, I'll act. I want to be, um, I want to be acting into my 90s. I keep saying that to the husband. I keep saying that to the husband because I, I didn't work for so long. And I was like, no, no, no. You see, the thing is, you see, I'll be working into my 90s. So don't worry about the mortgage. Don't worry about the university cost fees. I'll be working into my 90s. <laughs> Dame Judy Dench over here in, in the corner. Absolutely. I can see that, Phil. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I can as well. So what is next for both of you? In your long, long, long career that's going to be ahead? At the moment, I'm very much focusing on writing. So I've, I've got lots of different irons in the fire and I, I think I'm going to be moving into directing. I say that tentatively because, again, it's a big worry and I feel like, oh, oh that's the big one. That's the big job that I'm scared of doing. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, I just have to take the bull by the horns and, and hopefully start doing that pretty soon but um but yeah like I'm always acting is kind of there and I I love doing it but I think my focus now is just um telling my telling my own stories and and uh using the past that I've bored you with <laughs> and utilizing that to tell maybe some kind of different Irish stories as well not boring at all <laughs> I have to say that don't worry about that <laughs> thank um, you Phil what about you what what projects are up next for you I am hopefully also getting back into writing finally after not writing a jot for nearly two years between uh, having a baby and all the rest. So I am still developing a film with some friends of mine. And um, yeah, I'm I'm working on a few ideas at the moment at like very, very early stages. But it's that it's that feeling of, yes, I'm finally getting to do my own thing again and um uh, get really passionate about an idea that uh, hopefully one day we'll have wings and be out there and um, on the telly. And now we mentioned Anne uh, in Motherland and when Anne had a baby, that was your tiny baby, is that true? Yeah, um, the bumps I had in the show, they were both fake, but the real baby in series three, she's my baby um, because uh, it made sense. Like they said, I knew the, the character at the end of series two was having a baby anyway. And then she was born in real life, my baby. And then I thought, well, they, they said, do you, want her to, do you want to bring her on? And I said, yeah, it's better. Like I was breastfeeding her at the time. She's only eight weeks old or 10 weeks old or something. And I thought better I'm holding her than somebody else's baby. Because like when I was there day one, my first day there, I had to push this pram and had a fake baby in it. And every time I looked in and it wasn't oh, her, no. oh my God, my mind nearly caved in on itself. <laughs> I was just like, what is this? Where's, huh? Oh, 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 this mothering stuff does something to your actual mind. I was like, this is, I never thought, I no one more surprised than me to be having these reactions. I was like, what? oh, there's a plastic baby in my pram. Help, call the guards, call everyone, call everyone. So yeah, so I, yeah, she was good as gold. And then it's just as well that she was that age because now she's uh, a rocket ship. She is climbing, jumping, swaying off things, shouting, roaring, um, punching in the night. She's, yeah, she's just so wild and it's great because she's so determined and so headstrong. And I'm like, yeah, stay that way. Don't give it up. And is Motherland coming back again? Any chance? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Um, I'd always like to do more. Um, 
but I have not. I have not heard it. And yet. the other question I have is: Did your baby get paid to be in Motherland? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did she? I think did she, she get did. a check. Huh? Did she get a check? No, I think I think the well, I think I think I'd I get on to Sharon Horgan. That's disgraceful. If she <laughs> yeah. No, no, there there was discussion of a daily rate. There was a discussion of a daily rate, and I think I you see because my mind was so frazzled at the time, I didn't even look at the pay slips coming in. If it's it's something probably in four years, I'll go. Hang on a second, let's go back through. <laughs> yeah, but also your daughter's going to go. Where's my money? That's like exactly. Ma'am, where's my telly money? Thanks very much. Um, I think she did get paid. I just, I would, I would have to open up my maths brain and that doesn't work either. Maths and technology, just no. I'm the same. I am the same. Listen, before you go, tell us, uh, both of you, why people should listen to the podcast. I love the podcast synergy. I love having people from other podcasts on to talk about it so we can all promote and support each other. Why should everyone listen to I Heart Worry? Phil, go, tell them. Um, (laughs) If you worry, if you think you worry about really weird stuff, if you worry about big picture stuff, if you find that laughing about your worries help, if you like listening to two friends having fun, if you like anything about what you heard being spoken here today, if you like listening to uh, women talking about stuff, that's maybe why you should um, listen and send us an email with your worries. We keep inviting people. Uh, the, the inbox isn't swelling, um, but that's our problem. What's the email address? Uh, weheartworry at gmail.com. Yeah. I'll send a few in. I'll just do uh, it anonymously. Do, do, <laughs> do. You can do it anonymously. Yeah. Yeah. We won't, we'll, we'll read we won't read out your name. Uh, <laughs> it's just I'm, I'm constantly fascinated to know what other people worry about because I just want to know, has somebody had the same worry as me ever or... Are they all as different to each other or what? You know, so. Okay, final word uh, to you, uh, Yaz. What, what, why should people listen? It, do you know what? It'll just make you laugh. I guarantee that. Because even if you never find me funny a day in your life, Philippa Dunn will make you laugh on the bus and you'll have to cover your, <laughs> your hand with your mouth. So, so yeah, if you just want to laugh, join in and we'll honestly, we'll make you feel better. And I, I was saying to you at the beginning when we were, we hadn't started recording yet. Remember when podcasts, when they first started, it was just two men talking to each other. And like, I've nothing against men, but every time I tried to listen to one of these podcasts, I just couldn't engage. It was so boring. And now it's just brilliant that there's loads of women talking to each other and none of it's boring. It's brilliant. Yeah, I know. There's a, uh, yeah, a lot of fun, like upbeat podcasts with women behind it. And I, yeah. I'm I'm in full support and I love listening to those ones as well. Okay, well, uh, you've got a new fan here and I'm so grateful that you came on. And also, about all the different things we've talked about, we've covered so much and I think it's really interesting. So the best of luck with the podcast. Try not to stay up at night worrying about whether this was any good. I think it was great. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you again. Thanks a million. Thank Cheers. you, Roisin. Thanks a million. That's all we have time for. Thanks to Philippa Dunn and Yasmin Akram. The podcast is called We Heart Worry and I really recommend it. And do let us know you thought about that conversation by getting in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com